Well, good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so you'll be better equipped to amplify your impact as a difference maker in any area in your life. We'll cover a variety of topics related to authenticity and what it means to bring humanity into the world. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I'm excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. And we are here for the second part of our episode with Howard Mitchell. Now, for those of you who joined us last week or who may not have joined us last week, to give you a very quick overview of Howard, Howard has, he's a a veteran journalist and reporter and anchor and producer in several cities across the U.S. And over the years, he has produced and championed initiatives producing powerful media aimed at helping families, including, among others, Children's Miracle Network and Disney. And Howard, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to do part two this week, and we're, we're thrilled because we're actually going to, you're going to give us, if you would, a very quick overview for our listeners who may not have been in our last episode. And so give us a really quick overview of this project, and then we're actually going to engage in the project. So we're not just going to learn about it. We're actually going to go through the interviewing in the process. In the process, so I'm excited about uh, tonight. Well, the the uh, it's not the 30 second elevator speech, but uh, maybe two minute. Um, just over throughout my career, I've I've worked on a lot of campaigns with um, with families in the sense of media that that just promotes family values what it's like growing up in families and and uh with the children's miracle network we did a, a show uh every year from disneyland and uh one of the episodes or the the segments on on the telethon from disneyland was called the national parents poll and we interviewed well we published a parenting survey in parents magazine one year parenting and that the next year and uh had uh, the first year we had over 14,000 responses uh, of, of the parenting poll. And, and so we, we talked to families at Disneyland and, and did interviews. And, and I also worked uh, with Bonneville Communications out of Salt Lake City on uh, the home front campaigns, the family, wonderful, warm, fuzzy parenting family messages. And uh, so that, that influenced me a lot. And, and over the past gosh, probably 20, 25 years, I have carried a digital recorder around with me and a microphone in my travels. And when, I, when I'm when i at airports or the beach or vacations and I have some downtime or time to kill, I'll just on an impromptu basis walk up to people and say, hey, I'm working on a pilot program for a family-based radio show and want to ask you a few questions if you're okay and what it was like growing up in your family and i find out where they where they grew up what what decade they were teenagers primarily you know the 60s 70s 50s 80s 2000s and and i ask them about their the type of parents the type of family the type of kid they were and then my million dollar money question is this and i ask them to share a story of when they knew, and 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 I asked them to tell me where they were, what was happening, 
to take me there when they knew that their father or mother loved them. And so I'm just on the verge of launching my own podcast uh, called When I Felt Loved. And that's what I do. So I've I've collected, I already have 45, 50 cool interviews, and 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 I and I find these crown jewel more than sound bites, but anywhere from 90 seconds, well, a minute to to two minutes uh, of of one. And, and when you ask a complete stranger, uh, they don't know me. They don't know, uh, you know, they're not trying to impress anybody. Uh, the memory that first comes that surfaces is, of course, something of deep emotional and, and powerful uh, feeling for them. And so I get these great, great stories that are right, authentic from, from the horse's mouth. So that's what I've been doing. Well, and if, if our listeners want a, a backstory to how this all came to be in much greater detail, because Howard uh, loves to tell stories, listen to our last episode and you'll get, uh, you'll get the, the, uh, the, the genesis of the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and Howie, is it okay if we start with you? Like, what was your, you know, upbringing like, and when did you feel loved? <laughs> I think uh, this would be a fun way to, I guess, I, I don't know what kind of specific questions you ask in what order. I'm sure you have a, a nice little formula, but, you know, and, you know, tell us about, I know you and my dad grew up in the same decade, but you know, what was, what were things life at the, like at the Mitchell house and, and when did you feel loved? Well, yeah. So uh, the, the two key things were, well, three, three questions for background. And then, then I asked my money question, but the, the, the question is what type of family did you grow up in? What were your parents like? And what were you like as a kid? So do you want to start there with those three? And let's and then, do it. Oh, Why don't you uh, take us away? <laughs> so the, the, the parents were John and Bertha Mitchell. And my father was an immigrant kid. Uh, he, he went, you know, you know, didn't speak English and uh, went to school through the eighth grade and then just decided, because he was teased mercilessly because he didn't speak English and was held back, uh, you know, three three grades. So he was this big, tall, non-English speaking kid and got, uh, he just decided he was gonna start driving truck and worked on farms. And he ended up uh, having two big dump trucks and helped build the Alaska highway. Um, uh, worked on farms. He was a self-taught mechanic. Uh, worked on the railway for for one year. Uh, I remember him sharing stories. Well, then then he went on to drive Greyhound bus in central southern Alberta, and that's where he met my mother. And uh, she was a passenger, and uh, they made eye contact, and the rest is history. Uh, that's another story. But uh, she <laughs> came from a large farming family. Uh, you know, nine kids. So she grew up in a farm, but she loved the city. She helped take care of her mother. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, her mother who died of cancer, breast cancer, and her sister in Vancouver. So she lived for a year uh, caring for her sister and just loved, you know, the streetcars, the entertainment, theater. Uh, she performed in musical theater herself. And uh, our basement, we'd find stuff, hats and shoes and fashion stuff. And we just thought, wow, mom, you know what? <laughs> For a farm girl, she was a businesswoman. She had uh, her own riding stables before we came along as kids in Lethbridge and uh, had 20 horses and taught riding. And uh, 
and gave all that up when uh, uh, eldest brother came along and just decided she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and and really helped support my dad and and coached and 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 helped him you know professionally and they were a great couple they were very service oriented um, we'd go on some family vacations uh, didn't have a ton of money growing up uh, you know my dad worked for the government a civil servant uh, he was a driver examiner and uh, so it was fun learning to drive having somebody <laughs> critiquing your every move uh, but hard, very very hardworking folks. And uh, so, so that was our our family life. I mean, my dad uh, loved to play horseshoes and and, uh, you know, we we do a little camping every now and again. But uh, uh, music was a big part of we had a piano in our home and and uh, music lessons were uh, my el eldest brother, uh, eight years of classical piano training, my second brother, uh, two years. And I lasted eight months. <laughs> I just. Uh, my, my parents, I think my other, my eldest, uh, my brother, Ron wore them, wore them down. And I would just rather be playing football than than practicing piano, uh, you know, to my you know, detriment, unfortunately, I, I tell my own kids, I, I told them when, when we got them into lessons, uh, I, I said, ask me how much money I made playing football and zero and how much money did my brother make playing the piano he played in one of the top bands in Western uh, Western Canada. Uh, there was a time, imagine this, a 16-year-old, 17-year-old making more money than his father. So um, first child syndrome could be a little arrogant. And uh, so, so, yeah, music lessons uh, paid off. So that that was that was our life. You know, Sunday dinners were a big, big deal. We'd have uh, Sunday dinners at the Irvins or at the Taylors. We always had someone at our house for Sunday dinners. Uh, Dave, David, you might remember we would joke sometimes. We'd uh, we'd have three Sunday dinners as kids, not very often, but we we ours was right promptly at noon, and then and someone in the afternoon, and Taylors at six, and so we'd just go musical homes. So I had a great, great upbringing. Um, uh, me, in terms of a kid, I was always the shortest kid in school. My driver's license, when I was 14 in Alberta, you could drive back then. I don't know what it's like now, but you could get a... Still can. Still you, can. You could get a, a, a license at 14 for uh, a motorcycle, 100 cc's or less. And my first driver's license said uh, uh, five foot one, 90 pounds. So I was... <laughs> I was a real threat and not a candidate for the Hell's Angels in Sylvan Lake <laughs> or the Sundowners or other motorcycle gangs. So that was me. I loved uh, it. I, I played hockey like every Canadian kid till I was 12. And then uh, I, I just wasn't a threat anywhere on the ice and got into skiing. And uh, that was a big, big deal. Helped me survive the winters. And it was cool in high school to, to be in the ski club and and, uh, you know, played tennis and some golf and cycling and outdoors. And so so now the, the question is, if you were to ask me when I uh, to share a story of when I knew I was loved growing up in my family. Um, the one that really comes to mind was uh, when I was 15 and a half. Uh, well, no, let's back up. Th these two blend together. So they're two kind of parallel stories. 
uh, but but really a cool lesson in here. The first was when I was 12 and uh, one of my best friends growing up and, and in the previous podcast, we talked about the the five of us, David and me and Doug and Ron and Al, uh, all growing up together, all getting our Queen Scouts. Uh, when I was 12, uh, Al's parents, Al's family used to go out to the shoe swaps uh, out by Vernon, British Columbia, the Okanagan Valley, Kelowna, that area. And uh, so Al said, hey, you ought to come out uh, on vacation with us. And so I went, are you kidding me? Like, that'd be so cool. And uh, and 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 I'd done sleepovers, you know, at the Irvins. And I remember Dave, David, you were in, uh, you know, had ski lessons and I didn't, I didn't, hadn't started skiing. And so I, uh, Dave would go on Saturday mornings with Harley and, and I'd hang out there and play with his, uh, you know, those race car sets with the slot cars and, uh, uh, while David was skiing. And so uh, separation anxiety was not a big deal for me. I was used to, you know, being away. And But to go for three weeks to British Columbia with uh, with Al and his family, my dad said no. He says, I I don't know. I mean, uh, three weeks. And, and I remember my mother saying, now Johnny, his name was John, but she said, now don't you think, I mean, you know Chuck and Joan and you know Al and and uh, I think he'd be okay. And, and he says, well, I, I, I just don't think he's old enough to, I mean, and, I, and she said, well, I think you should let him go. And I said, please, please, please let me go. And, and so I knew my mother loved me because she lobbied really hard for me. And she said, we'll sacrifice. I said, is, is it a money thing? And he said, well, you know, you got to pay your own way. I mean, they're, uh, and, and. So cut back on a few things and 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 my mother finally won him over. My my dad was not he was loving, but he was you know Central European kind of a the first answer was always no, just put it that way. And uh and so they let me go. And it was wonderful. I mean, just water skiing and fishing and camping and 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 so I knew that that my mother loved me. I I wasn't sure about my no I shouldn't say I, I knew my dad did, but I uh, so fast forward 15, 15 and a half, and another Al trip came up. Only this time it was to spend six weeks in Perry Sound on the Georgian Bay on Lake Huron. Uh, his grandparents lived out there, and his uncle Gene and and. Uh, so this was a much bigger deal because this would have been in the, oh, maybe 1970 or so, uh, 70, 71, late 60, I, I can't remember. But it was a time when the, the hippie movement was, you know, the late 60s. And you had hippies on the trains going from Toronto to Vancouver and Vancouver to Toronto. I mean, it was a very crazy time. I mean, a, a lot of social norms were being challenged and, and broken. And, and again, it was, do we, do we let Howard and Al on their own? Uh, you could get the CN, Canadian National Railway, CN youth travel card for $68. I remember it. 68 bucks. And you could go anywhere in Canada. 
And wow. so this this included bus fare from from Red Deer to Edmonton, and then jump on a train and and two days across the country. And and I'll never forget. My dad said, "I'm okay with it." I mean, I said I, I didn't think they'd let me go. Six weeks, I had to subcontract my paper route. I had two paper routes, and my younger sister <laughs> agreed to do my papers. And and I even gave her fifty percent. <laughs> she took like like not a hundred percent for six. Uh, no, I, I I split with. So I knew my <laughs> sister loved me too. She really wanted me to go, and uh, and my dad said because of what Al's folks said, uh, and I went subsequent years to the shoe swaps, and, and and they said you know he was good good company. He worked hard. He did his, did the chores, did dishes, helped cook. Uh, and, and he's welcome anytime. And that was the endorsement that I think my father, so he trusted me because I had done, I guess, enough things uh, that, to where he knew that I'd be okay. They were concerned though, that two 15 year olds on their own on hippie trains, <laughs> <laughs> it was their fear that, that we'd be okay. And, uh, and they let me go. And, and I'll, I'll never forget just uh, hopping on the bus and then getting to the train and pouring rain and, and, uh, uh, and just kick the seats around in the front, kick back and playing cards and eating snacks and on, on my way for a 2000 mile journey. So I, I knew they loved me because they they trusted me i love that I all love right that. that's my story that was a lot longer than oh no i love that but, I love and that. and then the final question i ask people uh -huh. is so how has that affected you so they share their story and then i say how has that affected you do you act a certain way do you mirror your parents' behaviors or or not. And and sometimes uh, I'll get stories where the parents weren't the model parents. Hmm. And, and people will say, even though they weren't the greatest parents or the parent of the year, and, and I have some clips we, we could play perhaps, but uh, and they'd say, so I have I have been different than my parents. My father was not a great father, for example, they would say. And the way he he left when I was, you know, five years old, le mm -hmm. left my mom. She was pregnant. He even took the TV, you know. And and but this was him saying that he knew his mother loved him. Mm -hmm. And he said, and I was determined that I was not going to be like my father. I was going to mm -hmm. be like my mother. So I get these wonderful yeah. stories about how they act because they remembered a sacrifice or an act of kindness or something um, of a parent. So I look at how oh, yeah. it affected me. What do I do? Yeah. I have the benefit of hearing 40, 45, 50 stories of people. And I go, that's a cool reference point for me as a parent to say, mm -hmm. wow, maybe I could act a certain way. So I love so to ask people how that. How so has this impacted like you now going forward, like when your own, you know, your own girls were, cause you have two girls, one daughter. 
Three, three daughters. Three daughters. So when your own daughters were 15 and they're like, please, dad, please, can I go to that party? Please, can I go on that school trip? You know, did you hearken back to those, uh, to that, you know, moment when you were talking to your own parents or uh, maybe it's something less oh, absolutely. specific? Okay, good. Yeah. And I think everybody does. They think, well, yeah. this was the way it was. This is how I was treated as a teenager. So, but, but sometimes the hammer comes down and, and, and teenagers are stifled because of the way their parents treated them. And, and I would tend to think, oh, I have to be the super disciplined, you know, careful parent, not just because of the way my parents were, yeah. because there was always this yin yang, this give, take this, well, I don't know, you know, should we, or shouldn't we? Uh, some parents will, and, and David, you, man, you got a master's degree in this stuff. So you, you <laughs> stop me anytime and say, well, I mean, that's uh, maybe works for you, but conventional. <laughs> well, but you know, before you we move to the next uh, subject here, I just have to tell you one story about how I knew your dad loved me. <laughs> cool. I'd love to hear that one. So we're, you remember that old Austin, <laughs> yeah. what's and an austin like a vehicle maybe i'm really young for this is that a vehicle like it's austin? a british car oh like an austin martin no no i wish <laughs> if you look at taxi cabs in england you know in british movies those black yeah, yeah. no those are nicer but but that's kind of the the look those black okay. frumpy looking cars go ahead all right cool would okay. you say they're about the size of a volkswagen a little hint bigger but yeah well, we, this was pre, uh, now your dad was a driver instructor and bus driver. I mean, is, but there was no seatbelts in those days. Oh, heavens no. And we crowded two of us into the front seat of your Austin. I remember they had a little, <laughs> the uh, signal light that would come up above the, the, on the roof. Yeah. It was the light. They, they had, they were like little flippers that would come off. So you'd, you'd go one way or the other and this lighted little arm would come out from the side and flip <laughs> up. Well, your dad was missing how many fingers? I'm going to say three. Three from a farming accident when he was four years old, pushing oh my gosh. straw into a threshing machine in oh. the old. And uh, he almost died. They, they, they were poor peasants and they left him in the third floor of the hospital to die with the old man and my mother had to spirit him out of the hospital and and did a, a with with her sister they they put his hands in in milk curd and, and whey and to, to pull the gangrene out and bandaged him oh up my God. And reattached two of the fingers and they were crooked you know side by so yeah go ahead david but yeah i remember his hands I remember his hands and he would be, he would grab us by the knees and tickle us. Squeeze. We're driving. He would squeeze them. And I just remember the tenderness in the toughness. And that's what stood out for me with your dad. Aww. Now we lost your mom when you were how old? Uh, I was 18. So I, I have 17. I hadn't turned 18. I was almost 18. A month before. I, I remember the loss of your mom, and it felt like the loss of my own mother. Wow. Because your mother, I had a lot of sleepovers at your place, and she treated me like I was your son, her son. 
So I have uh, the tenderness and the love and the, and the kindness that Bertha offered me. It felt like my second mother. Well, so family yeah, means a lot. You, you were part of the family. And I do I get to share a story of how I knew that your mother loved you? <laughs> Can I share this one? I would love that. I but love before it. we move on, I want to close the loop on the yes, please. Theory. Yeah. Some and David, you can correct me. Some people might say that parents should always go behind closed doors and and figure out how, what they're going to do with the kid, and then come out with a unified front. <laughs> um, and maybe that works in some families, uh, and, and and it should happen periodically, but not exclusively, in my opinion. Because I remember my parents sitting down and saying, "Well, let's talk about this," and and I would see my mother win my father over on my behalf or vice versa because <laughs> my mother was a bit of a fraidy cat and my dad was more of a risk taker i mean he was like <laughs> you know go for it so anyway david you can weigh in or not but uh, i saw I it both ways and and i appreciated it from my parents there's no formula that. that's what i know in raising <laughs> kids now over 40 years there's no formula <laughs> <laughs> and no one size fits all with this thing. Parents, you know, you parents asked, to be, trust their own instinct. <laughs> you asked me a question, Haley, in the lot, previous episode, and you said, yeah. all those 45 stories and interviews and, and yeah. uh, what, what's your take on, because you soon to become. Yeah. yeah. And, and I gave you a, an okay answer, but, but I thought of it some more. Excellent. And, and I thought the thread that weaves, that connects all of those, that weaves through all of those was kindness. Hmm. As I looked at all of those, it was what, even in discipline, even in, in, in seriousness, they, they acted kindly toward their child. Hmm. And I thought that's when it all comes. If you don't know what to do, just be kind. I like that. So, and being kind, I'm going to guess, is not the same as being nice and, and making kids happy. It's sometimes kindness in the no. Very if good. They know you can you can do it kindly. Yeah, you can say My no. My mentors always used to say this is a familiar saying that we probably all know, but. Say what you mean and mean what you say, but don't say it mean. And and so that this is uh, what what I love about uh, about that is that there's kindness in toughness too, isn't there? Yep, absolutely. Uh, so I get to tell the the, the Joy Servan story. So on uh, on several Mother's Days, uh, the Irvins and the Mitchells would go to Sunday dinner. And there was a restaurant, and David, I cannot remember the Juniper Lodge. I just remembered it. Uh, the Juniper Lodge, somewhere outside of Red Deer on the way to Lacombe. Lacombe, just outside Lacombe. And so David would have been, David and I probably would have been six, five, six, or seven. I can't remember. And And so... They're coming around, taking our orders. It was Mother's Day, you know, Mother's Day brunch, buffet, dinner, whatever. And uh, so everybody was ordering. And 
and they had prime rib and they had roast this and chicken that and you name it. And the waiter came around to David and, and he said, I want a roast beef sandwich. And the waiter said, well, that, I'm sorry, that's not on the menu. Uh, is there something else you'd like? And went down and David said, no, I, I really want a roast beef sandwich. And, and everyone's looking and it's like, well, okay, well, is this kid just being, <laughs> you know, a, <laughs> you know, pushy or spoiled? <laughs> and, and I kind of thought, well, Dave, okay, find something else on the menu. And because I'm more of a, a diplomat, a people pleaser in a sense. And, and David just said, no. I don't want anything else other than I don't want that other stuff. I want a roast beef sandwich. And everyone's looking at Joyce to say, get your kid in line. You know, <laughs> n- nobody said that, but you yeah, yeah. and and Joyce in her kind way turned to the waiter and said, I'm sure that the the, the food is wonderful here and you have a wonderful chef. And in, in, in fact, we come here often. Would you find it in your heart to go ask the chef if he would just slice a couple of wonderful slices of roast beef off the roast and and get a couple of pieces of bread and just put some gravy on it and bring it out for my son, David? And he said, well, I guess I could do that. He said, would you just go ask? See if it's even possible. And he came back and he says, you know, the chef said he would love to do that. And no it was like Joyce gave David everything he ever wanted because I, I knew the family dynamic and, and I know for a fact that she was firm in some ways. But I thought, what a wonderful thing to know that your mother's looking out. She could have just said, you snotty no. six-year-old, <laughs> just pick this. Here, I'll order for you. So Cheese pizza knew, it is. <laughs> I knew that Joyce Irvin loved David. Do you remember that, Dad? That's hilarious. I remember that one. No, that's so funny. Funny what stays in your mind, yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, we continue along. Yeah, hold that thought. I'm going to share something after Haley shares her story, but about memories that or things that happen that some people remember and some don't. If that's okay, if if absolutely no, absolutely. I was just thinking because we're talking about Joyce. Maybe that's a good segue to yours, Dad. Do you want to jump into Joyce? Sure, I'll tell you about it. So our family, wow, where do I start with our family? <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I purposely, you said we well, do these interviews spontaneously. So I made a point this week of not thinking about this and not rehearsing it. So this is, Good. I'm doing the best I can to be Good. very spontaneous now. And you should know how he too, like, this is hard for my dad. Like on my wedding, we kept teasing him because he had uh, his giant cue cards that were bright pink sticking out of the back <laughs> of his pants for the whole day from rehearsing it from his speech over and over and over again. So we were teasing him about his bright pink cue cards sticking out of his waistband. <laughs> well. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead, dad. You like your rehearsal. Well, anyway. my, my mother was a, a family therapist. And uh, she actually set up an institute. She was a generation ahead of herself because she always was a working mother outside the home. And this was not something that was done in her generation. We always had um, 
babysitters and nannies and people looking after us after school when we came home. And hence, we had the Mitchells where I would stay often at your place because my mother would often work late. So she ran a family training institute and she was often gone. She uh, she traveled and she brought she was a a, a, a guru in uh, bringing many very prominent, uh, well-known personal development leaders in the 60s and 70s. She would bring them to our home and uh, and they would stay with us. I didn't really know the big deal. Now I look back and I read about these people who stayed with us the whole human the human potential movement back in the 60s and 70s real pioneers in the personal development field that would have stayed with us people like virginia satir who was really the mother of family therapy she brought family therapy into the whole psychological uh, psychiatry movement back in the uh, 1950s and 60s among other things so she's this real hotshot family therapist and had all these ideas and my dad was a very gentle so so my mom was tough she also lost her husband in the second world war and she came from a very abusive family very loving but very abusive family and so she had all this uh trauma that she really was working with and then she had a stillborn baby also when i when I was a year old. So my mom had a great deal of her own wisdom, very, very wise, very kind, very encouraging. And also she struggled with anger. And, and so not a lot of people knew, I don't know if you ever saw mom's anger. Did you, Howard? Were you ever part Once of or twice. Um, do you remember when you lost the ax through the ice when we were down the lake? And she got red faced. She she really <laughs> went one side and down the other because, and poor David, the axe just slipped out of his hand as we were chopping a hole through the ice, and the axe was gone. And and but when it's you know zero or ten below, and you need to split wood for the the fireplace, <laughs> axe is at the bottom of the lake, <laughs> big deal. So axes sink when you. It's <laughs> no good. <laughs> yeah. So I lived, I felt loved and by encouragement and support, but I never really felt safe because I never knew when the next shoe was going to drop. So I have this underlying tension and anxiety that I've lived with all my life. Combine that with my dad, who was loving and caring. He's, he was uh, worked with boys as a profession growing up. He was a world, or not a world, but a Canadian. There wasn't really anything. Uh, it wasn't wasn't on the world scene in those days, but he was a nationally ranked gymnast uh, back in the 40s. And he used to run gymnastics programs for the YMCA in Calgary, South Y. So he was his skill was working with boys. In fact, he when he uh, applied to go to the war, he was turned down, it was very heartbreaking for him because he, his eyesight wasn't good enough. So he did not go to the war, but he stayed home and looked after uh, was a boys' leader uh, on the mm. Calgary in the in the on the Calgary streets with kids that had troubles and uh, high needs kids, and he would he would just he brought mm. they brought them into the Y, and he was kind of the male figure, so he was naturally a boys' leader. And I'll tell you when I felt loved um, was 
many, many times. He was our scout master and he was the soft one in our family. He was the loving person in our family. Well, and before I go to the story about how I felt loved, he's, he also struggled with mental illness. So mm -hmm. he was, uh, he was uh, uh, hospitalized in psychiatric units on, on more than one occasion, primarily for depression, but he was diagnosed with manic depression back in, back in the day. It's now, I think, by, by, they would call it bipolar illness, but he struggled with mood swings. And I inherited the gift of his mood swings. That's a story for another day. I think I've shared it on this podcast, but I have mm -hmm. also struggled with mood swings and, uh, and had to work with it. And my dad is, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a tremendous inspiration for me that way, but he, his softness is what I remember. And I remember him taking me fishing down the blind man river. Um, and this was a small little river. And, and, uh, I look back on it now and my dad never fished. He paddled. Uh, he it, we we went in the canoe, and he would be he would always take the time to straighten out my lines and and take the time to untangle the lines and bring up the fish and have the nets available. And I just remember the time that he took with me. That's where it, I caught my not, first fish was in your green canoe with your dad <laughs> on the yeah. Blind Man River. It was there a pike. you go. It was probably a pike, uh, a jackfish. What? And a Len Thompson number five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so these were the times that I remember being loved and the times that we would camp together. And I just wrote about it in a post, actually, but I'll share this story. Uh, when I was in grade 10, I went out and, and uh, th we did a fitness test in our phys ed class. And I was quite overweight, I remember in those days. Uh, and very out of shape. And I, I was the only one in the phys ed class who didn't finish the, the, the mile run. And um, I went home dis, disheartened and fearful and very discouraged. And my dad, in his wisdom, uh, brought home a book the next day, went to the library and brought home a book called The First Four Minutes by Roger Bannister. And he said, just kindly, he just said, you might want to read this. And you, you might find something in here that inspired you. And I devoured that book in a weekend. It was the story of Roger Bannister's journey as a medical student and how what he did to train to, to uh, run the first four-minute mile. And I was so inspired. I went to my dad uh, on Monday after I read this for the weekend. And I said, Dad, would you be my coach? I want to make it to the uh, provincial track next, next year. And I want you to coach me. And... Uh, we spent the winter. He went out on the roads and he we measured out the hundred meters and he put in a stake and he put flags on it and he and uh, he taught me you and know, we went interval training and he measured it out. And the next year I was third in the province in the fifteen hundred with my dad. And then I went on and uh, did some track, did some track in college. But this is I knew you ran, but that's the backstory I'd never heard. So that that my dad inspired me, and and uh, I, we're doing a podcast later in the month on inspiration, and where does inspiration come from, and how do we stay inspired as a leader, and was it the Roger Bannister who inspired me? Was it my father who was attentive, and knew what he, what I needed that inspired me? Where did that inspiration come from to light that flame? Because you know, uh, 
Was it my phys ed teacher? Where, where did it come from? So it's a bit of a mystery for me, but we're going to be exploring that. But that, again, a topic for another day. But these are the ways that I knew I was loved and how they struggled uh, in their own relationship, um, but how they invested the time. And I have to come absolutely back to this word of kindness, Howard, that you mentioned, because I can absolutely tell you that's how I knew I was loved is, is in those kind moments. Well, thank you. That, that's a great story because some parents would just say, are you kidding me? Why don't you pick another sport like ping pong? <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, when I had, I had, when I was four, I don't know if you knew this, but I had polio when I was four. I, I do remember My that. dad took that, he built those parallel bars in the basement and had a tumbling mat and he would be down there. I think he wanted to turn me into a gymnast and he failed at that when I was in, in elementary school, but he always used to say, um, mm. you know, don't, don't pray for the world to get easy. Pray for you to get stronger. And he just worked on my strength, worked on my exercises every day. We did those five BX routines. Yep. Uh, when I was in when I was in elementary school, and then I kind of drifted from that and uh, got not in good shape. Well, I have to thank Harley. Uh, speaking of gymnastics, uh, interesting family dynamic. Uh, my parents, as you know, loved entertaining, loved people coming over to visit. And they would always trot my brother Ronald to the piano and say, oh, you have to hear Ronald play concerto and D minor, whatever, something. And he would just amaze the guests. I mean, he was very, very, very classically trained. And then, and then, then my mother would say, and David plays the piano too. And so... He would sit down at the piano and clunk something out that was <laughs> uh, less than memorable. <laughs> and then I didn't play the piano. I played football. And so she'd say, and Howard, well, and this was thanks to Harley, because Harley taught me how to how to do somersaults and stand on my head and do handstands and monkey stands and and so Ronald would play the piano, then David, and then, and, and Howard, well, Howard, uh, stand on your head for them, Howard. And that was it. That was my deal was, I, I think that's all I got. That That's all you got, you know, and yeah, Howard can stand on his head. <laughs> so, I had to get self-esteem somewhere else. <laughs> Good memories. I oh, hope our good. listeners are are uh, enjoying our little inner family. I love this. Our inner family uh, stories here. Well, I love it. Up this. This Howard, I'm I'm going to leave it to the pro here. Howard, would you interview our daughter, my daughter here? So Haley. You didn't, yeah. So imagine I just walked up to you on the streets of somewhere Ontario. <laughs> where where in Ontario? Are you in Ottawa? I'm in I'm in Ottawa. Yeah. Okay. And and we're at the park, and you're just. Uh, you know, oh. listen to, you know, waiting for the concert to start outdoors or, you know, whatever it is outdoors. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And you're going nowhere. And I just say, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions about what it was like growing up in your family? And so, so where did you grow up and, and what decade and what was your family yeah. growing up? Oh, here we go, dad. And here dad can fact check me too, as I'm, you know, he'll see, he'll have a better memory of this than I will. Cause you know, you were an adult. No, I, uh, yeah. So I grew up in the same town dad still lives in, in Cochrane, Alberta. So at the time it was a small town, but it's not really anymore. I think it's like tripled or quadrupled in population since I graduated. 
Um, and so, you know, I always like to describe it to my kids here and I'm, you know, these little suburban Ottawa kids as, you know, kind of like this Western town and, you know, outside, like in, you know, kind of rural Alberta and, you know, funny. They always think it's funny that we have this like outhouse race down main street where, you know, all the businesses in uh, downtown Cochrane will set up an outhouse on wheels and then they'll race it chariot style down main street of, of the town and all the students, all my students think I'm making it up. And I'm like, no, no, it's the same weekend as the rodeo, but they had to move it because it got too rowdy. It was too busy. <laughs> so oh, Google it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's real thing. Um, so yeah, so that was the, the town we, we grew up in, but you know, mom stayed at home. She was a teacher, um, before me and an administrator, vice principal, um, guidance counselor, um, before I was born. And then, you know, I don't never really went back to the world of teaching. So she stayed home to raise, you know, Shandra, my younger sister and I, um, and then dad, you, you were around a lot too. um, traveled a lot for work, but you were around when you were around, you were around. And so I remember a lot of um, you know, mom would do the force us to do homework and read with us, but dad would do the silly voices and get on the, his hands and knees and try to tackle us like an alligator kind of thing. You know, <laughs> like you would do the roughhousing kind of games, whereas mom would do the, you know, the reading out loud and the, um, you know, taking care of us when we we're coming home crying from school. Cause a girl said something mean. And, you know, so it was a really cool, like yin and yang kind of balance between the two of you. So um, so when you were, oh yeah, 13, this would have, teenager? yeah, so I would have been, I was born in 93. So okay. I, you know, childhood would have been night, late nineties. And then sort of came of age in like the late aughts, early tens, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess at that point, yeah. So I'm trying to remember how old I was when this happened. And I don't think I was in high school yet, but I was uh, huge into making movies. I would, this was my hobby. I thought it was going to be my profession for a long time to like film and direct movies. And, you know, we get our next door neighbor kids acting in them and they put up with my, you know, bossy. Well, I think now I would like to call it assertive leadership skills, but at the time it was probably just bossy. However, um, directorial, directorial, exactly. Um, and so I like to make movies and I, you know, would use claymation and different animation styles and acting styles. And I would edit them on the computer for hours. And so I loved doing this. And because of that, I would watch these old classics, um, you know, from, especially from the seventies and eighties. Um, and the, the two that I was particular, the two directors, producers that I was particularly obsessed with was, uh, George Lucas, obviously because of star Wars, obviously. And, uh, Steven Spielberg because of his you know, sheer catalog of family hits. Right? right. Um, and so, you know, I would, you know, watch these movies, love the soundtrack, love the way they directed it, analyze it. Um, and, you know, try my best to, you know, obviously I was no Steven Spielberg. I was 13 with a camcorder. However, um, you know, you'd try your best. And for my birthday one year, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember what birthday it would have been. I was a young teenager, probably preteen. Um, and you and mom, dad got me these framed pictures for my wall, one of George Lucas and one of Steven Spielberg. And I think I was probably the only, you know, young girl at that time, instead of having some, you know, teenage heartthrob up on my wall, I had these, like, you know, two balding old men, um, but, uh, you know, but it was just sort of, I think showing that like you saw me for what I wanted to do. Um, and if I wanted to pursue that as a career, I ended up having getting a drama degree in the end, but I think had I wanted to pursue the sort of risky artsy, artsy fartsy career of, of film producing, you would have totally supported me. And so it was just sort of that like permission to just create and explore 
and, you know, look at the world through that lens. You know, I had friends whose parents were pushing them into engineering or law or, you know, more, you know, stable, consistent, reliable, you know, financially responsible pursuits. But it was sort of like, this was the permission you guys were giving me to just sort of be weird, be curious, be artsy. Um, and that's okay. You know? And so I think it was just that moment that it was like, wow, you guys like, you know, you see me, you accept me and, you know, you, you support me in this, you know, world of filmmaking. I didn't end up actually filmmaking as a, as a profession, but you know, it probably led to my drama degree and probably why I'm now directing a bunch of teenagers in a musical, but you know, and in the classroom, but yeah. <laughs> but, but they were the ones that found those posters. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't yeah. something you had seen and said, please buy those for me. Nope. Not so, at all. So the fact that they actually understood who you were as a person uh, yeah. speaks volumes. Absolutely. Know. This goes back to your grandparents, because that was what my dad's gift was, my mom's gift as well, to find uh, They were always looking for what my gifts were. They yeah. tried. My dad tried to make me into a gymnast. Yeah. He supported the fact that, no, I'm not there. He didn't push that, but he pushed it as far as he could. So he, knowing finding my gifts. He knew I had a love to run. There was mm -hmm. something in, in that, that I didn't even see in myself. So mm -hmm. I, I'll give credit to your grandparents for, uh, <laughs> for what you've got there. Not to mention <laughs> your mother's ability to do the same. <laughs> well, and I think too, even like this would have been before Google images and printing at home and all of those things would have been as accessible as it is now. But yeah. like, it was just like, you know, just these like incredibly thoughtful gifts that, you know, for me to even put them up on my wall and to, you know, use as a source of inspiration. Right. And then also to, you know, have the kindness that when I thought I lost the camcorder on, you know, a school trip to Quebec, um, I ended up finding it. It was okay. But, you know, knowing that like, you know, you guys trusted me to take this camcorder on a school trip with a bunch of other eighth graders, you know, pretty, pretty cool. So. Yeah. And, and how has that affected you as, as a person you're not a parent yet, yeah. but in your relationships with spouse or students or others, yeah. has it given you some insights or do you behave a certain way because you think back on that? Definitely. I think it gives me a soft spot for, you know, I, I do a little bit of guidance counseling a little bit at my school. It's just sort of mainly more in like career. Um, so I've been in a lot of meetings between parents and kids um, where parents are wanting their child to follow a particular route in life, whether it's their own route or whether it's a route that they think is best or what have you. And having worked with this child and knowing the child well, and obviously better than the, you know, than I know the parents having to find ways that like, you know, as the adults in the room, like defending the the child and the interests of the child without disrespecting the parents. Um, I think it's just given me a, a particular appreciation for never being forced into one career path, but also, you know, being able to help encourage kids to sort of pursue what they're interested in and the kind of lifestyle, the job, the, the, the passions, you know, that they're interested in, uh, even if it means kind of pushing up against the parents a little bit. Um, you know, I think, yeah, cause I think it's, you just see the difference in, you know, when kids are forced on a path compared to one that they're supported and encouraged on a path, it's, it's radically different in, in the, the child's whole demeanor. Um, and so it's just given me a, a greater appreciation, I think for that necessity, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Something just popped into my head. It was like, mm -hmm. I find myself 
uh, and this is the first time it's ever crystallized in my mind, but wh why does the first answer, why can't the first answer be yes instead of no? Yeah. Yes. With a, uh, but a qualified yes, which is, well, let's figure out how we could make this happen rather yes. than now nah, it's never going to work. Absolutely. And, and, and maybe as a parent, you say, now th this doesn't mean I'm saying yes, but mm -hmm. I'd like to explore it because I really would like to see this happen for you, but yeah. we've got to make sure that, that we do it properly. So Absolutely. If, if I can share one experience, yeah, my eldest daughter, Diana, when she was, um, and, and this is so so interesting. We we moved from Sandy, Utah, to a new development way across the valley called Harriman, and uh, she was going from sixth grade into seventh, so from elementary into middle school, and she was so angry with us for moving, and just terrified, and she missed her friends, and she. I, I, I told her I driving to school to drop her off at the middle school. I said, if if you get straight A's and if you bring at least one friend home to the house so that we know you're trying, <laughs> I promise you at the end of, uh, you know, by, by Christmas, if if you're still not happy, I will drive you across the valley on my way to work to your old school. Mm -hmm. And because she would sit with just tears streaming. Please don't make me go. Please don't make me go. Oh. Found out later that she would, she wouldn't go to the, the the lunchroom. She would sit by herself, hide in the in the restroom. You know, just this poor poor. She missed forty like four zero days of school. Oh, and got straight A's. Wow, just as smart, but but just. Anyway, so she finally, she came home and surprised us and said, Dad, can you help me with this poster? I'm running for SBO, student body officer. And I would, what? Like, nobody even knows you exist. Who nominated you? She says, well, I, I, I this friend, of, what, you have a friend, you know? So anyway, fast forward a little. So she stayed in the school and she had a, a safe place, a science teacher who, she came home and she said, Dad, I want to go to Europe with with Mr. Buston's travel study uh, three-week thing. And I'm going, what are you talking about? I said, you're only 15. Like, you're going to go to Europe? Like, we're going to... And she said, well, just come to the orientation meeting. And and so that step, instead of saying no, I said, maybe there's a yes in there. So I go to the thing and I talk to the instructor and he says, you know, Diana would come to my class and just sit, you know, even other periods because she felt safe in my class and Aww. just listen at the back and work on homework. He says, this is a really special kid. And let me tell you, I've been doing this trip for 12 years now. It's something I do off season, you know, and they contract with me and I run a tour. And I think you should let her go, but you're the dad. Wow. And I said, yeah, but I also have to <laughs> convince the mom. Yeah. But I, I liked him. And, and she said, dad, please, please, please let me go. And of course, what do you think I remembered? The Shoe Schwabs yeah. and Perry Sound. And I thought, 
but man, now I get it. She's so precious to me. How can I, what if something happened? I mean, to be three weeks and then Buston, uh, it was his last name, Canadian, by the way, he's from Nova Scotia. And he, oh, said, he says, you know, some parents will go on the trip too, you know, parents are allowed. And Diana says, maybe, I don't know. And then she got thinking about it. And she said, well, dad, okay, you can go. And I said, yeah, well, wait a minute. But as it turned out, she had to earn half the money. I mean, this kid worked at Subway and as a janitor uh, to save money for the trip. I said, if you earn half, I'll subsidize the other half. Well, as it turned out, it was like 3200 bucks for airfare and two meals a day and buses and everything else per person. And so we made it work. That I remember her saying, now, Dad, just because you're going, and then she kind of pulled me aside and whispered and said, I'm really glad you're going. I really want you to go. I just feel better. But you can't tell any, and you can't sit next to me during the plane, you know, on the, on the flight <laughs> or on the bus. <laughs> but I'm just kind of glad you're going, but don't embarrass me. Okay. <laughs> and so we had a wonderful, and that's the story for another, but that's how oh, I behave I differently that. as a parent. Well, so when she's doing her medical school application and talking about volunteerism and all the things that you have to do to get, she could say that she had been to 12 countries and had seen how people live in other parts of there. And she wanted to, it, it had an effect on her as to why she wanted to be a doctor. And I'm glad, and so was Luann, her mom, that we let her go on that and have that experience. Of course, Luann felt great that I was in the background too. So, but it softened me. It softened. Well, this is this has been a delightful hour together that we have spent. I'm sorry, we got to wrap it up. I'll send you links to some of my. I'd love that. I'd love that, Howie. Yes, please. Thank you, guys, for sharing those deeply personal stories. And likewise, Howie, too. This has been awesome. And should we leave with a a very quick uh, gratitude list? Of course. That's our that's our tradition. It's a ritual. It's important. <laughs> <laughs> Who would like to go first? Ladies first. Sure. Uh, I'm grateful we had a really cute for my students today. One of my dearest colleagues, um, the kids of Oilet asking, we found out the the sex of the baby on Monday um through this blood test, you know, and so yeah, um these the kids all week have been asking, well, is it a boy or a girl? Is it a boy or a girl? Is it a boy or a girl? Um, and of course we're like, Oh, like, you know, teasing with the students and stuff. And then my colleague today was like, you know, I, I think we should, you know, I think we should do something at the end of the day. And so my colleague, you know, gathered all the students, we're a small school. Like I say all the students, but there's only, you know, 48 students, I think from grade nine to 12, um, gathered all the students and she did a little quiz on like baby facts, like how many bones do babies have all that kind of thing. Um, and then she's like, okay, if you think it's a boy stand up, if you think it's a girl, sit down. Um, and then I had pink underneath my blue sweatshirt, um, that it's a little girl. And so I like, you know, pulled up the, the one layer to show pink and the kids all screamed and they got like excited. Um, and so I think it was just like this, you know, I didn't intend it to be, you know, like, I don't love attention on me. I'm not that kind of person, but, 
um, it was just a really special moment, I think, just in sharing, you know, and like another colleague of mine got engaged this past week and they were all excited about that. So I think it was just this, I'm grateful for, you know, human connections, um, for, I think just, you know, people sharing in other people's lives and the joys and, and sorrows of other people's lives. And I mean, and I'm grateful for this too, right. You know, sharing in these moments of people's lives and, you know, both of your growing up and your families and things like that. It's just been, it's just always such a delight to, to hear other people's joys, you know? So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) So make an incredible difference to those students reading the the notes that they send to you at the end of each semester. Thanks. Incredibly good. (laughs) For the year, I'll vote for you. Thanks. So I am I am grateful for the human connection. I'm grateful for a reminder of what's important in life. I'm grateful for my heritage. I'm grateful for community. And I'm grateful for a reminder today of what truly matters in life. And uh, to have us bring some focus on that. And I hope that our message today has some kind of, will plant some seed of goodness in somebody if you as you listen in on our on our uh, efforts here. And I'm grateful to both of you for joining us, for the three of us getting together for these stories. Rich, rich, very, very, very rich. And lastly, but not least, Howie, what are you grateful for this week? (laughs) Well, you know, the the word kindness had extra meaning last night and today. You talked about an experience today for me. So the reason I'm here, at my middle daughter's home, we're, we're helping. Uh, they had a situation where they needed some help with their mm-hmm. their almost nine month old uh, little one because uh, even though Andy Andrea, but she goes by Andy, works from home, home office, and it's it's wonderful. Uh, she's a, a MBA and works at the University of Utah and manages budgets and and has a lot on her plate, but the they do a nanny share thing with another couple and, and, uh, but the nanny got COVID last week and, and, uh, Andy's husband is a, is a medical device rep and, uh, insane hours and gone and in surgeries all the time. And so they needed someone to, to help. And, and, and so my wife, Luann is the kindest person I know said, of course, I'll, so she's been here all week helping Andy. And she was, uh, uh, has fibromyalgia, Luann does, and, and doesn't get great sleep and, and really wearing down. And, and Luann's mom uh, was talking to her last night and, and I overheard it. And, and her mom has, has different issues, but one of which is she said, well, uh, she's not service oriented, put it that way. And she says, well, you got to take care of yourself. You know, you, th- they've got to figure out stuff on their own. They're adults and you don't have to do that. And Luann just kind of looked and, and it was like the very core of who she is. And, and I said, well, let's go up together. I'll, I'll drive tomorrow. I'll work. I can work remotely. And, uh, and, and as rotten as Luann felt, she was here for our daughter because she's kind. Mm. And she said, I'm not like my mom that way. And, and she will wear out in service before. And, 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 and they don't take advantage of, of Luann by any stretch. Um, they just, they're sleep deprived and teething baby and everything else. 
and she was kindly there. So that's what I'm grateful for. I love it's, that. It's beyond words. It's who she is. I love that. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoy your day. We'll see you next episode. Great. Thank you, Howard, for the privilege of spending these last two episodes with you. I love it.